We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, and I am Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Tim and Paul will be discussing the 2-1 defeat away to Man City. Um, a game that was all sorts of bad, wasn't it really? It was um, quite possibly the worst game I've seen in quite some time. No, definitely the worst game I've seen in some time. Yeah, so much so that I don't even know what to say about it, so... I'm not going to do so. Enjoy the podcast and uh, back off to West Brom. And Merry Christmas to you also. Arsenal get out of the blocks quickly, score the opening goal, and dominate the first five minutes in a clear statement of intent that we plan to challenge for the title this season. We'll discuss those five minutes and nothing else. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am thrilled to be joined by Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Hello, Paz. Woohoo! I am also thrilled to be joined by Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, it sucked. It really sucked. It was a terrible, terrible day. It was a day... Where we showed a lack of quality, uh, we will discuss whether we also saw a lack of intensity, a lack of preparation, and a lack of execution. Um, all in all, just a real shit pile of a day that leaves us questioning whether there's any possibility of a title challenge. And I think what makes this one hurt is, look, to win a title, occasionally you might have to turn up and win a tough away game. But this was an away game we had every right to expect a chance to win. They had no Aguero. They had no Fernandinho. They had no Gundogan, except they had him in spirit um, in a display that brought a tear to every eye, I'm sure. But, you know, we we not only didn't get the result, we didn't get a performance that indicated there was any faith that we could get a result. And Paul, I'll start with you. 
Um, I think that it would be fair to suggest that losing to Everton in midweek could cause there to be a lack of confidence in the squad. But the absolute tonic for that is getting out of the blocks quickly and scoring a first goal. And that's exactly what we did. At the point at which we scored the first goal, were you expecting, based on what you were seeing from them, especially defensively, for us to kick on and, and really come away with a big performance? Uh, well, sir, yeah. Uh, Tim said, I think, over a WhatsApp with us, that he was expecting a knife fight. I wasn't confident when we went up a goal that we were going to win it. But uh, I thought it was going to be an exciting game end-to-end. There was going to be goals in it. It might end a 2-2, a 2-1 to somebody, but, uh, you know, a 3-2. I thought it was going to be a hell of a game, at least from an attacking standpoint. Uh, Obviously, we might have our defensive frailties, and they certainly had theirs and displayed them early and often in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a game of two halves, as they used to say. The first half was like, all right, we weren't brilliant. But, you know, if if everything ended at the end of that first half, ignoring the s- score, um, if we'd had two halves like that, we'd be all right today. We, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be rolled up in the ball, fetal position for the second day in a row um it's just like what happened at half time so it i mean it was my nummy it was a great start great goal but they did kind of open the door for us bellerin ran you know 40 yards uh with kevin de bruyne five yards behind him jogging behind um alexis did his drop deep that couldn't have been a surprise to them and they gave him a little space and he punished them for it and theo ran through the middle between their center backs and nobody got a shoulder on him or anything but great goal to us felt good felt like and the thing about the everton loss i don't think that should have shaken our confidence at least not substantially i mean if that turns your season upside down god forbid i mean the performance was the performance it wasn't terrible against everton um, certainly in comparison to the City one, it looked pretty good. Um, you know, the manager had genuine reasons to complain that we were maybe a little unlucky, a little robbed at Everton with a little imagination. Uh, you, you, there were excuses to use about tiredness or whatever you want to use. The, you know, the Everton result in the context of this City game um, was really no reason for the team to go out... There was no cause for this that you can think of um, in normal footballing terms. I was just, uh, I am, I think we all are, I'm in shock at what transpired. The first, especially at the end of the first half, I mean, forgetting the goal situation, the first half was okay, right? And then the second half. Yeah, the second half, I'd say the first half was not great and the second half was as bad as as we've seen paul i'm going to give you a chance to rattle whatever you use to connect your microphone because i'm picking up a little buzz off it so while you are rattling things inside of other things we'll slide over to tim and tim i think i just want to get right to it because it's an opinion you put out there on twitter and so we might as well just address it right off the top you have steadfastly stated that you felt that the team lacked intensity that the effort wasn't there and subsequently any analysis of tactics or performances are really irrelevant because when effort is lacking, um, you can't expect to come away with the result. Can you elaborate on 
specifically where you saw a lack of intensity and effort and why you think there might have been a lack of intensity and effort? Um, I'd, I'd probably narrow it down and call it intensity because effort is a speculation. Um, it could have been down to a lack of effort. It could have been down to a lack, uh, to a lack of motivation. It could have been down to fatigue. Um, effort is a possible symptom, but I'd probably stay with the word intensity um, because that's what I could definitely see with my own eyes, that there was a lack of intensity. And whether it was down to, um, I think there probably was a little bit of fatigue in there, um, and I'm sure we'll get on to, uh, we'll revisit the subject of whether we should have rotated um, in Switzerland a bit more, whether this was just a game too far. I think if you look at kind of the end of last month, um, when we you know started to come alive again after a, a succession of draws and fairly kind of laboured performances, there were lots of changes going on. Um, so I think between Bournemouth and what was the game before Bournemouth? Um, I think it was Champions League game. Um, there were like there were seven changes to the lineup, um, and actually it it seemed to keep things quite fresh. We were changing that midfield too. We were changing it between Jacker and Coquelin and Jacker and Elneny. Um, I think maybe Elneny might have been a decent bet for this game because Pep's teams are always going to try and press you high up the pitch, and that's what they did in the second half. And we just looked we looked a little bit too leggy to cope with it. We looked like we'd been given an instruction to sit off, which then we clearly took that instruction if indeed it existed far, far, far too far, and we became incredibly passive. And I just wonder if all these things put together, you know, City up. I think at no point in the game did City massively impress me. I don't think that this was a great City performance, even in that second half. I think they were a bit better than average. They were just um, they more s- energetic, and that was enough on the yeah. day to make the difference. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I think, you know, this a good City team would have given us a real hiding. I could tell, I still perceive that they were still a bit low on confidence. At 2-1, um, they kind of sat off a bit um, and looked like they wanted to protect their lead, which they really didn't have to do because we weren't offering anything. Um, there were certainly more goals and I think we'd completely fallen apart at that stage. Um, so I, I think there's probably a mixture of all of these things in there that they were instructed to sit off. I think maybe the goal um, coming so early maybe wasn't part of the game plan. Um, that actually maybe the game plan was, you know, let's not concede for the first half an hour and then go and try and score, which is what we did the last time we won um, at City two seasons ago. We just kind of held our shape for the first half an hour or so and then we hit them and then we got the goal. You think maybe it caused us to drop too, too much into a shell too early? Maybe, maybe, yeah. And and really, after that goal, uh, like Paul, I didn't think, oh, here we go, we're on our way. Because, you know, a minute later, Sterling's got a free diving header 10 yards from our goal. So I was thinking, you know, I predicted 2-2 before the game. And I thought, yeah, this could be 2-2 by half time. That's what I was thinking, that this is going to be really end-to-end. And there might be a small detail that wins it for either side. But they're probably both going to be quite loose. Yeah, I, I um, Can I add something? Fire away. Uh, I think the one thing you can say was clear in our plans, uh, and probably, Tim, you've an even better perspective on this, was in, in the first half, uh, especially early on, Alexis was leading the 
depressing charge. I mean, very mm -hmm. visibly. Uh, not just like often you see the player who triggers the charge, but he'd be like looking backwards and waving at people while starting the press. I mean, it was very, very clear, concerted effort to press. Yeah, but nobody else uh, was doing it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, no. Well, I don't know. They, they just else... weren't. I mean, he was furious. He was down on on his on his hands and knees at one point, basically looking pissed off or squatting, looking furious because he's he's pointing and shouting. He was doing his best Flamini impersonation. No one was joining him. Now, to be fair, he may have that just was been much going later on, though. I, I, all right. Yeah. Well, much, much at the later point on. where at he the looked... start. No. Here's here's my analysis of it. We were we were pressing at the start. We just weren't particularly good or effective. Co coordinated at it. or organized, or I mean, yeah. the thing and I couldn't City, tell. City, on the other hand, are very good from playing out from the back. What's interesting with all it throughout the whole entirety of the game in their final in their final third, they their passing percentage they missed one pass for the whole game. That's the sum total of our pressing early on and anything else we did to them. So even when we we're doing our good pressing, which wasn't particularly uh, effective, apparently. We still only managed to get them to miss one pass in the whole game. And I think that was a big part of our game plan. And after a while, the pressing being ineffective, people started to do it a little less. Uh, Alexis became a little more frustrated. But the reality was we weren't getting a glove on them. Yeah, look, I, I think the plan was sit in our half. It was clear that the plan was to let them carry it into our half, let their their back four, their their center backs carry the ball to the midway stripe. And maybe the idea was if we can turn the ball over in their advanced midfield when their defenders are up the pitch, we have the pace and the the long range, the range of passes to cut them open. Um, I mean, Alexis pressing, I almost got the feeling like he was doing it of his own design, his own desire and everybody else was following the plan that they'd been given. Um, Paul, the thing for me, I don't though... Think, I don't think so early on, though. I really don't. All right, well, I think we'll never know. Very but... clear plan early, and it didn't work. And then we got into this, well, what are we doing? We're kind of pressing, we're kind of not pressing, and then we went to not pressing at all. Well, so, all that, right, so here's the my... thing. The thing that disappointed me at Everton is the same thing I'll say disappointed me at City. I don't expect this Arsenal to put on a defensive masterclass. I really don't, and I, I don't think anybody does at this point. It's clear that we don't know how to defend in an organized, uh, coordinated fashion, and I think the idea that we are going to sit in a compact shape and defend is just farcical. Like We're not able to do it. What frustrates me is on the rare occasion we got at them, their defense looked like it was ready to collapse at any moment. We know how weak their fullbacks are, and they were playing Otamendi and Kolarov at center back, plus a, a goalkeeper who couldn't be lower on confidence. Is the real mystery for you, as it is for me, how we were so unable to create any clear chances against a defense that was there for the taking? Yeah. Uh, but to me, it all goes back to the midfield. Um, we had a midfield? Our, <laughs> he, he, well, yeah. Uh, we had a midfield two that eventually became a midfield one and a half. I mean, we'll get on to the Ozil question, but when they're playing a false nine, or at least no striker, um, and you got Silva and De Bruyne, uh, both looking sharp and in form and wandering around that midfield. You got the man monster himself, uh, Yaya Toure wobbling around, uh, Fernando. I mean, they just ran rings around our two and 
you know, uh, I can't not say it, uh, even if it's a little early for it. Ozil, I mean, my God, he didn't show up on the day. So we're down to two players in midfield. Ozil did nothing um, against their four. I mean, they just ran fucking rings around us. And yet he was our leading passer, completing 40 of 47. Next was Gabriel and Shaka, who completed 39 and 36 passes out of 45. The third most attempted passes on the team were Peter Cech at 44. So just three less than Ozil. I mean... Three of our our passing combinations, our top three passing combinations were Gabriel to somebody. Yeah, probably Cech. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he was one of the three. I mean, it really, to me, Tim... This is a case of we just – I went into this game thinking these two teams are both vulnerable at the back, but we have the better attacking talent given the, the players that they're missing. They're in a bad run, and we have a chance to to really put them under a lot of pressure defensively and, and see what they're made of. And you might have said that our confidence was dented from Everton, but we did get the opening goal. And so your goal of their defenses looked shambolic in the first five minutes – why do you think we were so incapable of finding the passes or the ways out of the pressure that they put on us? And I get it. Look, they did a nice job pressing us. But when you have players of the quality of Shaka and Ozil and Alexis and, you know, the pace of, of Theo on one side and Iwobi who has those quick feet and we've seen his escapability, how come we failed so thoroughly to ever find the out ball to create counterattacking opportunities? Um, well, I think when they really started to press in the second half, um, we saw, I, I alluded to the fact that probably in hindsight, um, I'd say, because I wasn't massively shouting for it before the game, we probably should have played El Nenny because the best way to get out of a press is to combine with quick, short passes. Um, and you can't really do that with, with Coquelin there. Um, the second best way is to do what Santi does and to try and dribble out of it. That's not the perfect way, but it's a way. The best way is to combine with quick, short passes that take people out of the game, and we didn't really have the players to do that. What um, we really should have done, I think, and I, I thought the decision to bring Chamberlain on was absolutely right, because the best way for us was to hit them out wide, I thought. there was a, a And we point. actually had a very good four or five minutes ending in a goal to City, I'll admit. After Chamberlain came on, it was that was the one period in the second half when we actually came to life again. Yeah, and there, there was a point where Bellerin, um, I think, where he did this for the goal as well, and he was able to carry the ball 60 yards without a single tackle, and there was nobody with him in the end. But I, I was just thinking to myself that they're, they're so there for the taking. If you, know, if you can just get the ball wide... Um, they will let you carry it because they've got... I mean, look at their midfield, the way their midfield was constructed. They, Kevin De Bruyne was in their midfield three. I mean, that that was a very, very open midfield they had. And, and I can kind of see the logic in maybe sitting off and letting... And, you know, their centre-backs are generally quite good at getting the ball out. So maybe Arsene was putting his hands up and saying, well, there's not a lot of point in pressing them high up because they'll find a way out and expose us. And perhaps we can get them in a different part of the pitch. But I felt out wide. They were absolutely there for the taking. And I was, um, you know, to your point, Elliot, I was I was shouting at points in the second half. You are not good enough defensively to do this. You are not good enough defensively to sit back and try and hang on for a 1-1 draw. And I was just saying, like, 
this isn't working. It's clearly not working. The manager, again, um, just like at Old Trafford, you know, when we really came under pressure and it was so obvious we were going to concede a goal and something had to change, whether it was a substitution, a slight change in emphasis, a slight change in position for someone or tactic or whatever, it was so obvious um, about five minutes, ten minutes maybe before Matter scored that the pressure was unbearable and we were about to concede. And the same happened again with Sterling. And, and the manager and the team just didn't react. They weren't able to switch up what they were doing. And even when we brought Giroud on, and to be honest, I, I didn't think that was a bad call either because I thought, you know what, at this point, we might as well just pump long balls to Giroud because we're not getting out any other way because we haven't got those midfield combinations. And even when he came on, we didn't seem to bother doing that. So we didn't try to play to his strengths either. And it was just... Um, I don't know whether it's it's you know physical slash mental fatigue, but they just didn't seem to have the wherewithal or the craft kind of mentally or physically to change up what they were doing when it was very obviously not working. And I agree, I'd, I was not impressed with the way City defended at all. I wasn't really that impressed with the way they played, but the way they defended, they were there for the taking. And I was thinking... At 1-1, I was thinking, we've got to switch this up and turn it into a knife fight again. We might not win doing that. We might lose the odd goal where it might end up being a 3-3 draw, but it is infinitely better than what we are doing because what we are doing now is guaranteed to end in defeat. And my only surprise was that it was only one goal because, to me, that looked like a good, confident City side, I think, in that kind of half an hour after half time could have got three or four goals very yeah. easily. <clears throat> yeah, I look, I think when you have a certain personnel grouping on the pitch, you have to look at the system and the strategy you're asking to employ and see and say, does that fit those players? You know, I just think if you're telling Ozil and Shaka and you know, you've got you've got a backup center half and Gabriel and, and an attacking minded right fullback in, in Bellerin and you have these players, Theo Walcott and Awobi, and you're saying, we're going to sit deep and defend for 90 minutes and pick our spots mm. to counterattack. Like, they're just not wired that way. You know what I mean? And they're- also, like, picking, again, not, not to pick on him, but, like, picking Coquelin for that, his whole, his all of his attributes are about getting into teams and pressing. And, you know, if you're going to sit off of teams and then try and counter, play on any because that's that's much more suited to his game than it is Coquelin's. You strangle Coquelin when you tell him to just sit in the centre circle and then we're getting pressed and we've got a player that you know hasn't got the kind of quick feet um, or, the, or the quick enough mind in possession to get away from that. He had a bad first half. For the time he was on the pitch, the second half, it, bad doesn't even begin to describe it. He was 16 of 26 passing. Um, they just moved him around. They ignored him. They let him make the mistakes himself. And it makes pressing easier when you have a player in your midfield who doesn't have to be looked after. And that's exactly what they did. I just think mentality-wise, you look at this city side and you say, we can get at that back four. We're not particularly uh, coordinated and built to sit in a compact defensive shell. So let's go after them. And we didn't do that, and we paid for it. And the longer we sat in that shell, the more Alexis got isolated up front. Ozil started to look disinterested. And I think, I hate to say it, but this one's on the manager. You know, you pick the players and you tell them how to play, and it didn't work, and they got out tactic by Pep, and the players didn't look like they had an answer for it. Paul, I guess the question has to be asked now, 
you know, when you when you look at how poor that performance was, and especially that performance in the second half, you have to sort of ask, well, how do you fix that? How do you make sure that doesn't happen again? What are the things that went wrong? I mean, look, you can't correct certain things. Like, we're not going to get a new manager tomorrow. What are the things that can get corrected or need to be corrected for this team not to continue to make these kinds of performances or regularity away at big sides? Uh well, I mean, we have a couple of things going for us. We don't play till, what, next Monday, uh, thank God. Um, and so, you know, time's the great healer because we haven't got much else in our corner. We've got two winnable games coming up, and that's a start. It, do- it doesn't mean we'll be back to back to zero or we'll start feeling good about ourselves. But not feeling utterly shit would be a start because that was... That was a season-destroying game, depending on what comes after it. So, I mean, the, the manager has to go in there. I, I fully agree with what you said in terms of this being to a large degree on the manager for all the reasons you talked about. But the manager has to go in there and tear them a new one. And he needs to change something substantial. And I don't know what that is at the moment. Um, I hope Danny Welbeck's feeling even better than Arson says he's feeling because you need a player who in there who's going to change the dynamic and Welbeck's that player for me. Yeah, and I'll Not stop you for fixed. a second, and I will say there's yeah. a lot of attention on Ozil and Coughlin, who are both really wretched on the day, and Shaka wasn't much better, and, and few few players covered themselves in glory. But I think we are seeing now the deficiency at left wing become a problem. Oxley chamberlain is not consistent enough and not good in possession. I thought Iwobi had another really uneven to very poor performance, and, and that is a position that, you know, if Welbeck can come in and make that his, it would really make a difference, wouldn't it? Yeah, it will be really should have been able to help out our midfield. I mean, that's why he's there. And for whatever reasons, I st- I'm not comfortable yet that I know, you know, what the fuck went wrong there. Um, I do feel like we had a two-man midfield with Ozil and Iwobi. Nobody else really impacted it. I uh, was, again, disappointed in Monreal. That seems to be the wing you target if you want to a goal from from Arsenal, although Bellerin didn't cover himself in glory on the first one. Uh, but but when you see how De Bruyne played that ball over to Monreal's wing and how they were wide on him without even looking for the second goal, uh, they knew exactly what they were trying to do there. And one player beat our fullback again, and you could, you could say uh, our centre-back, and our keeper to the the near post, but I'd put it mostly on Monreal. So you, you can go around a few aspects of the performance. Um, I, I think this is pretty devastating. I think the time factor will help us maybe get back to getting our shit together to to uh, uh, you know keeping ourselves taken along. But it, I don't know what gets us back to th- believing we're remotely a title contender here i think you need to change bring in a strong personality who impacts how we play and i don't know who that player coming back might be i mean could Um, could it be getting a mustafi or a murder back i'll switch it over to tim just real quick because tim the the distribution from the back and in particular the clearances were hard to watch and i can't decide if it's 
a lack of quality or a, just a lack of composure, which speaks to sort of the mindset and feeling mentally prepared for the game and, and for the pressure of the game. Um, what what do you attribute to, to what do you attribute the devastating day we had in distribution and clearances from the back? And isn't it amazing that Gabrielle was involved in three our three biggest passing combinations? And how did that come about? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I that, that, that would be giving him credit. He may not deserve, though, because some of the, some of the most hacked and, and panicked clearances on the day were his as well. So little good, little bad, right? Yeah, I, I imagine that City probably tried to force that situation, tried to force yeah. um, it to be him on the ball. I mean, I said after Mustafi got injured that I felt we'd miss him much more for his passing than his actual defending, although we do miss it. You know, he's, he's been a very good defender for us, but actually he's... And there's a lot of this going on at the moment in the Premier League, actually, where so many teams are employing the press now that actually it's more important than ever to have a good passing centre-half. And this is what Chelsea have done with David Luiz. They've got a centre-half who's basically like a midfielder almost. And in fact, if you look at Chelsea's goal against Palace, it came because Azpilicueta stepped up and stepped out of the defensive line. And actually, usually Chelsea will use either Luiz or Azpilicueta almost like a false midfielder, um, for want of a better and more imaginative phrase. And that's what Mustafi's kind of become for us. And obviously, Gabriel, who I don't think defended badly, particularly during the game, but he just doesn't have that same quality in the pass. And I think City knew that as well and and probably targeted it. And so you add all of these little things together. You've got, you know, you don't have Mustafi, you don't have Cazorla. Um, you've got a team that likes to press you, that, that anyway likes to press high up. And then you kind of team Jacker with Coquelin, who there's no potential really for a passing combination there to get you out of trouble. And it just kind of felt like um, it was coming on top and coming on top. And I don't know, maybe the lack of intensity was just that they felt a bit worn down after a while. They, did, they couldn't see a way out and they either didn't have the idea or, or the brains or the gumption to come up with something else. Um, and, I, you know, just like Man United away, like I said, I, I feel like Chamberlain and Giroud was a good switch up. And obviously we, we ended up losing Chamberlain to injury. But even then, we, you know, we just couldn't seem to get out. And um, again, that's where I feel Elneny maybe could have added something, um, you know, in, in, in terms of his qualities in possession. Conservative though they are, it, it might have helped, whether it had been enough to... Um, overturn this performance I'm not sure because you know as as said at the beginning when the intensity isn't there the rest of it it's not not a factor it it's just when you haven't got the fundamentals and the fundamentals include passing the ball out from the back without passing it straight to one of their players <laughs> um, you know then every, then everything else will fall apart and then you had, you know, Ozil was having to drop deeper and deeper to try and come and find the ball. And, um, and and it felt like after a while as well, it was like an economies of scale effect where basically the more we sucked at trying to build play, the more it encouraged Man City to come at us and come at us higher. And when it became very clear that we weren't going to change our game or that we didn't have another idea... Again, it encouraged them to get higher up that pitch. Their yeah. centre-backs 
pushed up even higher because they knew there was no long ball coming that that wasn't what we were going to do so it, it all just you know it was just like the walls were closing in on us and we didn't really have any idea other than to keep trying to do the same thing and it demoralized us as much as it encouraged man city absolutely i mean look the goal in managing i i think and and setting a team up for a big game is to try to impose your qualities on the other team and make them do things that make them uncomfortable and make you comfortable right so for example if you look at me if you try to make me tall and handsome, that's not going to play to my qualities. That's going to make me very uncomfortable. If you want short and mo- mediocre looking, I can do that all day long. Like, when I looked at, at the city lineup, okay, I thought, we're going to win. We're going to win 5-4 or 5-3, but we're going to win because I saw that they, you know, you look at it, they had, what, Sané, Silva, Sterling, Yaya Torre, De Bruyne, these are not players that want to defend, that want to tackle, that want to be in their own half. And I thought, when we get the ball, it's going to be Shaka to Ozil, Ozil to Awobi, Awobi to Alexis Goal. It's going to be Shaka to Ozil, Ozil to Theo Goal. Shaka to Ozil, Ozil to Alexis Goal. Alexis to Ozil Goal. I mean, it, that's what I saw, is the ability to play right through a soft center of that of that city side. And... We didn't do that. And I think what happens when you sit so deep in your own half and you tell these, and admittedly, very talented attacking players that they have, go do what you enjoy doing. Get in the attacking opposition half and play little dagger passes and and dribble and get wide and create problems for the defense. Like They were thrilled with the way we played, in my estimation. It gave them all the confidence, even down a goal, that they didn't have to do the things they didn't want to do. And we never pushed them back. We never made uh, uh, De Bruyne feel like he had to play in the defensive half of midfield. We never made Yaya Torre have to put in a shift defensively. We never forced, you know, the, the terrible fullbacks, right? I mean, we never forced Clichy or Zabaleta and ultimately Sanya to really be involved. And and so they grew in confidence. And eventually what you inevitably know is going to happen is that our poorly organized, not particularly well-drilled defense is going to give you those opportunities. You know, and ultimately one of those opportunities comes from Czech getting beaten at his near post, which... Isn't a great look, but I, I just don't think it's worth even diving into on the day because Petr Cech is far from the, the problem with what happened on that day. Um, Paul, I think that now, you know, you look at this, and I, I don't want to get to the postmortem yet. We'll get to that in just a minute. I want to stay with the game for just a moment. Um, Mesut Ozil is a very, very talented player, and we have a such a culture of short-term memory and instant gratification, um, you know, as a social media culture that we have to have a referendum on every player in every big game. So I don't want to go overboard, but when you look at the body of work that Mesut Ozil has in big games, and especially big games away, but big games for Arsenal, the, he is building up a bit of a resume for being a passenger. I don't want you to tell me what you think of Mesut Ozil because I think all of us agree he is an exceptionally skillful player. But is there a point at which this manager has to be able to put this player on the bench or sub this player out or rotate him out for games? He was never a 90-minute every-game player for Madrid. He's a player who needs his creative juices flowing, unlike Alexis, where a lot of it is just athleticism and power, and he, he seems to have limitless energy. It doesn't look like that for Ozil. And he's played, what, four games in 12 days or whatever it was. Does the manager need to have 
the the confidence and his strength and his convictions and in his position to pull Mesut Ozil off the pitch when it's clear he doesn't have it on the day. Well, I think he hit something on the head there because um, why didn't he yank him? Uh, it, it, what you was know, the, he providing at that point? Uh, right? I mean, the nothing. way he wasn't providing anything, and, and it does him no good, and it does us no good for him to just be presumed to get 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, there's the gift from like 70 or something minutes when he's walking around, uh, and somebody told me there was a gift of Ozil wandering around the midfield. I thought it was from 58 minutes when I saw him first wandering around, and I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, you know, if what you want is for the manager to see that and for whatever conclusion he comes up with as to why the player is doing, get him off the fucking pitch and put somebody else on. Unfortunately, the only, I would say, credible backup to um, Ozil in our team is Santi Gazorla. And he was already oversubscribed as the linchpin of our midfield. So here we are building two key areas of the pitch on him being uh, the best or second best player available going into a season in which the man had well known per the manager's uh, um, deliberations, Achilles tendon issues. So it's kind of flabbergasting. Um, I I don't quite subscribe to the Ozil doesn't have 90 minutes in him. Um, I'm not saying he uh, can't I, play I, 90 minutes. I'm saying, you know, there, there, he I, I never gets got good stamina. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I don't think he's a guy who – I think he can run as far and as fast as anybody else, but he's going to do it in a nozzle way. Now, clearly against City, I don't know what the fuck happened. There's no excuse for what he did. I don't care if he's tired. I don't care if he was frustrated. I don't care if – he felt others were letting him down. That was fucking dereliction of duty. I'm just, I, I don't say this too often about Arsenal players. I don't remember the last time I've said it. I was sickened by what he did. You, we, you know what? You it know was, what? Go ahead. Can, can I make yeah. a couple of quick points? It was 2-1 at the end of time. It was 2-1 after 70-something or other minutes. When he started walking around that pitch, we were at 1-1. He, he spent um, 90 seconds looking like he couldn't give a fuck. And it was 1-1. We brought on Oxlade Chamberlain. You can criticize the manager, and he deserves loads of criticism. He got outcoached in this game. He brought on Chamberlain at 64 minutes. We actually looked half decent for five minutes, but conceded at the end of that. I think uh, Oxlade Chamberlain pulled his hamstring while he did those three hops coming onto the pitch at the start for luck. Um but we had four or five minutes that were half decent. Um, we played with 10 men. If Ozil had done what De Bruyne did at that key moment in the game, putting through a fucking killer pass to Walcott or Sanchez, it might have been us who went 2-1 up. There's no fucking excuse for what he did. We might have been shit on the day. We might have still won a 2-1 or drawn. Champions are are born by surviving appalling performances and getting a draw out of it. We'd be laughing today if we'd gotten a draw uh, yeah. at the idea that we pulled it out of the fire. And he fucking went AWOL on 50-something minutes. I, I'm just 
I'm disgusted by what he did. I don't understand it. You know, tell me I'm wrong. And no, I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, the, the interesting thing, too, is like the pattern of play just wasn't going his way. And sure. so he hid. I mean, I don't know how else you look at it. I, you know, I was actually on Twitter saying we should have brought on Olivier Giroud because we had no out ball. We were just kicking long. You might as well. I mean, check. Check had no one to kick it to. Every time he kicked long, the ball came right back at us. I would have been fine taking Ozil off and bringing on Giroud and playing long ball and and trying, you know, what is the one thing Pep said his team struggles with? Anyone for 10 points? (laughs) The second ball, right? After the Leicester game, he said, oh, we really struggle with the second ball. So fine, kick, kick it forward to the big lump of a center forward and win those second balls and get Theo and Alexis running in behind him. Fine, like, but do something. It just, it seems to me that plan A was hardly a plan, and plan B was more of plan A. Um, Tim, I think Arsene Wenger is a manager who has underperformed in Europe. I have gone on other podcasts, and I have said, and I maybe this is just like blasphemy, I think he badly underperformed with the Invincibles in Europe. And I think he just got outmanaged in the Champions League when he had his best best sides. And I just wanted to get your opinion We've really struggled against big clubs over the last few seasons, and especially away. I feel like every time we come up against a moderately talented three-man midfield, we really struggle, and that's just the end of us. Like, we don't have an answer for it. Um, You look at the games against PSG where we got badly outplayed, and the midfield is all you needed to watch to understand why. Is this just a case of the way he sets his teams up is just cannon fodder for teams that, that pack the midfield? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. We we struggle quite a lot with teams, particularly teams that press us. And I think you're right, teams that move the ball quite well in a midfield three, as PSG did. They're not such a pressy team. They're more, you know, they have that kind of almost flying V in midfield where they just progress up the pitch nice and quickly. I think Southampton are another team that does that and that they are they press a lot as well. But they're another one that plays with a fairly tight midfield that progresses up the pitch um, and really yes there are problems in our setup um, with this I think you know if you've got Ozil in the midfield that that, that gives us a bit of a hole strategically um, against teams like that I mean he's, he's got a almost completely free role which 95% of the time he completely warrants but obviously it makes our structure a little bit loose um, and, you know, all of our central midfielders, I think, for one reason or another, do struggle a little bit against teams that do this. Even Cazorla, um, we've we've had plenty of games where we've been pressed to death with Cazorla in there. Um, well, Borussia Dortmund away comes to mind. Tottenham yeah, away a couple of seasons ago comes to mind. The only He's thing I was going to say our- in, in defense of that, Tim, is just that I think what often happens is we've been playing Cazorla or Shaq or whoever it is next to a less skillful player, whether that was Flamini or yeah. Francis Coughlin, and it lets the other team put two men on the ball-playing midfielder. Indeed. And Indeed. That, that's and been that, a problem. That, and to that's do the what, same to Arteta. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they did to, to Granit Xhaka. They, they pretty much marked him because they knew he wouldn't be able to play a combination to get out. And like I said earlier, dribbling past pressure is probably the second best way of getting out of it. But the best way of getting out of it is by moving the ball quickly. Um, and, you know, we really seem to suffer against this and most of our midfielders have a bit of a problem. And then you've got, you know, Ozil, who, um, shall we say, is not really cut out for that task. You've also got, um, you know, we're often playing Theo Walcott, who, though his 
his effort has certainly, or sorry, his intensity has certainly improved this season. He's still um, not someone you'd go to war with um, in that kind of situation. He's not going to hair back into midfield and, and, and really kind of, you know, come out all guns blazing. Um, I've had some interesting discussions over the last few days with, with Clive, who's been on this podcast before, who's convinced we're really missing a kind of Ray Parler um, option. And I, I, and I think that's, that's actually a, a really decent point because the way we're set up at the moment is becoming fairly similar to that old kind of 442 style. But we always had someone like Ray Parler in there who was capable of kind of being a right winger and a central midfielder all at the same time and being very busy and industrious and 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 maybe um, Aaron Ramsey um, can do that when he's fit again but we we just don't seem to quite have the setup um, to deal with teams that put us under pressure from midfield because we're more often than not we are playing with a midfield two um, as opposed to a three. That said, when we played Spurs away a couple of seasons ago and lost there, we had uh, Coquelin, Ramsey and Cazorla as a midfield three and we played Ozil wide left and we still got smothered and we still got beaten. So um, I, can't, I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is. I, I just think that you know we're a slightly open team. We, we've gotten much better at making transitions work for us in an attacking sense, but because we're a little bit open, because we perhaps don't quite have at the moment that that link guy in midfield who can do a bit of everything and can pass the ball, who can be intense, um, who can get up and down the pitch, uh, who can help our deepest midfielder progress the ball up the pitch. Um, we, we're just missing a few of those pieces at the moment. And more often than not, we just plain get outnumbered, um, to be honest. And it's it's something that... I think it happened to get. I think it happened to Everton as well on Tuesday that we were just starting to get outnumbered, um, and then they started to kind of go long and play for the knockdowns. And there's there's just basically a little a little hole in our bucket um, there, as it were. And we don't really have that player to to really to really kind of plug that little kind of strategic or tactical gap that we have in our setup and. And a team like Man City is very, very well placed um, to to really expose that. But and, and that's why I think really we should have just kind of down, not down tools, um, kind of pick tools up as it were, and really just gone blow for blow with them because we just didn't quite have the players to do what we were trying to do. Yeah, I, I mean, the player that's missing is the one between the Shaka, Coughlin axis, and Ozil. Right, I mean, yeah. that space needs to be occupied by a ball-playing midfielder, a linking player. Um, otherwise, it doesn't work, especially because you see it, right? When we get pushed deep, like we did against City and like the second half against Everton when they went long, the distance between Shaka and Ozil is too great. And the pass that's required to start that play is too challenging. So instead, the ball goes out wide to Nacho Monreal or to Hector Bellerin where they can use the you know the touchline as an extra defender and the ball winds up either going back to our defenders or just getting kicked long and being lost. Um, you know, and again, as an answer to that Ray Parler point, I get it, but I think the issue is not personnel because those teams underperformed in Europe specifically because that 4-4-2, when it, it met up with those, you know, with the continental style... It couldn't compete. 
you know, I mean, not not that they lost every game. We did make it to a Champions League final, but it's another conversation for another day. Let's start to get to the postmortem, though. And, Paul, I guess I'll start with you with this question because I think I know what your answer is going to be because I tend to know your, you? your take on this. Um, but Do I, you, I think it has to be raised. Um, Tim said there was a lack of intensity. I tend to agree. I think you see a performance like what Ozil put forward. And my my statement about Arsenal for the past decade has always been that I suspect it is too comfortable a place to play your football. You live in a very nice city. You play in a very nice stadium. You play for a very nice players manager in the sense that he, you know, he's more of an arm around the shoulder guy. At least it certainly seems that way. You get to play more attack-minded football with less of an emphasis on defense. You're not forced to sit in hour-long seminars on video or pep-style trainings where if you're one foot too far to the left, you have to do it all again. You get to express yourself on the pitch. You get to make a nice wage. And now, by the way, if you come fourth and lose the big games, you know, 6 nothing, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. We'll get into the Champions League next season. It'll, you know, it'll still be pretty good. Um, you're probably not going to get dropped. You're probably not going to get rotated out if your performance isn't that great so you know just enjoy your football and it'll be fine i mean that that to me is the life at arsenal and i don't know if that comfort equates to a killer instinct the killer instinct needed to win such a competitive league do you want to challenge that assertion um well this wouldn't be the match i'd want to debate you on the basis <laughs> I, of... I've decided to bring this up when all the evidence uh, is weighs, weighs uh, my As favor. I stand here over the body with blood dripping no, from all right, the that, knife. That's probably not a fair but, setup. Let, let me put it to you this way. But, Do you think the manager has but, to create a more a more hard-edged competitive environment where his players do not feel that they're in a comfort zone? I think Haven't we done that this year to a much greater extent than we have in other years? I mean, there's competition... Uh, I mean, Lu- Lucas waist, scores a hat trick. He can't get on the pitch. Mesut Ozil and Alexis are not only not rotated, they're never dropped. They're never – I mean, where is well, the but, – Yeah, but but those two are are easy ones. They they play because that's how we tick. Now, don't get me wrong. I would have loved a good option. I would have yanked Ozil even if I had a bad option in hindsight. Maybe I wouldn't have been so brave on the day. But, you know, just fucking livid about – how that went down but you've got competition on the left wing you might want better competition but they're competing in the midfield you know chaka couldn't get in the team till three two three weeks ago um on a regular basis i know that's a sore point for you uh Coquelin's certainly been fighting for his place as they're nipping at his heels el Neni's trying to get in ramsey's trying to get in uh you know, I, I mean, I guess the best defense for the argument there. would be Olivier Giroud, right? I mean, that's the best defense. Sure. But well, he's been trying to get rid others. of Giroud for four years. I, I mean, Montreal does have competition from Gibbs, even if you guys aren't super excited by Gibbs. He, you no, know, he does. He's, he's right just there not losing his place. You know, I mean. But it, and it's not just about rotation, Paul. I guess the question is just that: Do you get the sense that the the entire setup at Arsenal? And the expectations and the style and the the system of, of even the, the way he wanted that socialist wage structure, which I know has sort of been smashed recently. But this sense of egalitarian uh, uh, idealism at Arsenal maybe isn't conducive to the kind. Of, I mean, when he had the Invincibles, he had some players who had that fire in their belly. They would get in a fist fight, you know, for each other. They... They were all winners individually, and then Arson gave him a platform to go out and succeed. Um, 
you know, with some here's, of the younger players he's I'll brought through, you that's not the case. In terms of getting a, an answer you might like from me, which is, um, it did occur to me over the weekend, not the first time anybody's ever had this thought, that we have a uh, making the top four culture. Complacency, and I don't right? Think, I mean, would that be the word? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but, but not deliberately. I think Obviously, the manager wants to win. Obviously, the team wants to win. But culture is a really hard thing to change without changing the people. And we've just been going for top four for too long. So I don't think there's any bad people here. I don't think the manager doesn't want to win. I don't think the club doesn't want to win. I don't think the players aren't ambitious. But culture is beyond getting people to sign up to do something beyond getting people who want to be committed, uh, sometimes you got to take things apart to change them. And I don't like that answer. It, you know, the, there's the part of me that says it shouldn't have to be that way, but in my experience in life, culture is, is something that's really hard to nail down that, that doesn't change just because you want it to. There's a reason people hire and fire from time to time. Um, and right now, after that City game, it just felt like th that second half was a, a team that thought they could do that. It, and get away you know, with so, it. <laughs> somebody should have put a fucking rocket right up the arse of Ozil. That should have been the manager. If it wasn't the manager, it should have been fucking Patrick Vieira or Emmanuel Petit. Or somebody should have fucking grabbed him and said fucking get going uh, they should you know there should have been an autopsy after the first goal in terms of who was doing what there should have been an auto people should have been getting pissed off with each other yeah and i do uh, think you get the sense for one reason or another that players like ozil and alexis you know and, and by the way alexis always gives everything this isn't about effort but feel bigger than the club to some extent they're, you know, they're going to have big clubs coming after them no matter what. They're going to be in a huge wage no matter what. They're going to be beloved in their home nation no matter what. I mean, Arsenal maybe is something they're renting, not buying, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. I don't know that, you know, Thierry Henry, for all his greatness, I, I genuinely believe he is an Arsenal fan, and I genuinely believe that, you know, he, he owned a little piece of the club in his heart, you know, and the club owned, owned a piece of him. Um, and... You know, I, I don't think you necessarily feel that way about the big players that have come through and the, the stars that we've developed over the, the, the past few years. And maybe that's part of the problem. You, you, just do, a more have, mercenary you do have culture. to win things, though. I think they'd feel very differently, uh, Ozil and Alexis, if they'd been where he'd been and been through what he'd been through and won the stuff. You know, that, yeah. Chicken that's and the egg, though, right? Thing. I mean, they're good enough players to win things. So, you know, when, Alexis, you, point, when you point a finger at yeah. someone, there's three fingers... How many fingers? Do you, yeah, three. Three fingers pointing back at you. Um, wow. let, let's let's yeah, that was that was deep. Let's let's wrap it up with Tim. Um, you know, I think we probably all think the title is is gone. I mean, Paul, maybe you still have a, a glint in your eye, but I, Tim, I know you never thought we were going to win it to begin with, so I, I don't even have to ask you what you think now. I never but, thought we were going to win it to begin with, but uh, anyway. All right. Well, here you go. You, you know, you go to the games home and away, and I know the away supporters are really the diehards and the ones where sort of the seeds of, of um, <laughs> the, the seeds of dissent and despair sort of start to grow. Um, 
after the match, you know, I think there'd been some goodwill towards the manager that he'd built up early in this season. This hasn't been a good week for him. How close are we to being right back in the uh, bin bags and marches outside the stadium situation? <laughs> close. I, I think Arsenal are only ever one or two defeats away from that, um, as, as long as we've got this manager, um, to be honest. But, I mean, we're probably close to that again because of the manner um, of these defeats in particular. And what was interesting on the way home was, um, for various reasons, London to Manchester on a Sunday is an incredibly busy route. It's a real pain when they move these games to a Sunday. It makes it expensive and it makes it the trains very, very busy. And we jumped on a train on the way back and we're on the unreserved carriage and obviously it's full of Arsenal fans and I'm sitting there thinking, oh God, this is going to be a horrible journey home again. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be this, that and the other. But but this time there really, really wasn't. And actually, I think the interesting thing about this game was it's it's probably like the least divisive Arsenal performance ever because there's no argument to be had. You know? Because no... Because usually, like, for example, you know, one journey home I remember that was particularly unpleasant was Norwich last year when we drew one all. And that was a horrible performance. But, you know, there was bickering and and stuff like that because, you know, we didn't lose the game. And so it, it, it becomes a bit divisive. But this was just, you know, unanimous. There's no argument to be had after a game like this. There's no scope for debate or disagreement. Everybody was just kind of... Yeah, that was absolutely awful, and we've seen this so many times before. And I don't really think there there was a slight, you know, in the last couple of minutes, I did hear a pocket of people in my tier doing, the, you know, we want Benger out chant, but it didn't quite go up as much as it has before. And I do wonder if people are just tired of it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, and there I is fatigue after so after so much yeah. of this. It it yeah, does, and, and I don't I don't ahead. understand how it how people didn't reach that point a lot earlier, to be honest, because I know I did quite a few years ago. Um, so, yeah, it, it was kind of, I, I think maybe we are close to that, but um, if you want the prediction, I think that from the next six games, I think we're going to get 16 points. Um, I think we'll win most of those games. I think we'll go to Stamford Bridge, maybe four or five points behind. We'll have cut the lead back. We'll go to Stamford Bridge. It'll be right if we win this. It's right back in it, um, and then guess what's going to happen at Chelsea? We win uh, emphatically. <laughs> cool. Um, so, someone wins emphatically. Yes. Yeah, you know someone what I Someone from see? London. <laughs> if you want to feel cheery, I think we go on a big run over these next six games. I agree with that. Um, I think we lose emphatically at the Bridge, and then get absolutely brutalized at Bayern, crash out of the CL, and have our pr- Premier League any Premier League hopes that we're still faintly flickering in the background extinguished uh right at the start of february and that's when i think it could get all a little bit unpleasant um can, can like i tell you guys well because also yeah. the january window will have closed they'll probably have announced or be close to announcing the wenger extension and that's that's <laughs> it's not gonna be a fun time can i say something really disturbing while you guys are going through those doomsday scenarios as you're talking, your very words lift my mood and I become optimistic and I can see a way forward. I need help. Yeah, well, we'll try to help you on the next podcast after we draw away. Or no, I guess we're home to West Brom. You know, look, that's the other thing. Everyone's calling these easy, but we've got uh, Tony Pula's side coming to the Emirates right on the back of these two losses. So, you know, they'll they'll have to put a performance together. Um, let's leave it there. I, You know, I think... 
you look at Liverpool, for example, um, and they're about to kick off, and that's a team that doesn't have a better squad than we do, but they found a way to play that maximizes their resources. Um, I think the manager has to take a really careful look at how he's setting his team up because there is there is a way that this team could be set up to be title winners or certainly right there till the end. Um, I hate to say it, but I suspect there are managers in the world that could lead this exact Arsenal squad to a Premier League title. So, you know, I, I think it's all there for Arsene Wenger to do now. And uh, who knows? Maybe we get on a good run and, and we'll all forget any of this happened and somehow fool ourselves into thinking the title's back on come February. Anyway. Uh, yeah, look, you can uh, follow Paul on Twitter. I recommend you do. He's there at Pausing in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Pleasure. You can find Tim on Twitter at Stilberto and read him uh, on Ars Blog and other places. Tim, as always, uh, thank you. Pleasure. Yeah, you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. You can give us a five-star review and write nasty stuff about us in the comments section. And please, please, for the love of God, if anybody has seen Lucas Perez, his family are terrified. Uh, any tips or information you have, please send those along as well. We will be back after the what I'm sure will be emphatic and uh, um, it will certainly be mood-lifting victory over West Brom. Looking forward to it. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.